You're listening to episode number 25 of the Divorce Resource Guy podcast. You've heard of holistic medicine, but have you heard of holistic divorce? Well, you're going to learn about it today. So let's get to it. we got a great guest. Cue the music. Welcome to the Divorce Resource Guy podcast with Jason Lavoie, a.k.a. the Divorce Resource Guy, a former divorce attorney turned divorce coach, talking about all things divorce, including the good, bad, and the ugly from an attorney's point of view. Remember, you're not alone. And now, your host, Jason Lavoie. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of the Divorce Resource Guy podcast. It's number 25. I can't believe we're at 25 already. Uh, time does go by quickly when you're having fun, right? And I got to say, I'm having fun doing the podcast. So I hope you are getting some enjoyment and a lot of information out of it as a listener. And if you haven't, subscribe. Please subscribe to the podcast so you get all the new episodes when they come out right now every other Tuesday. And uh, let me know of any topics that you would like discussed on the podcast, and I will do my best to get them in front of you. So today we have a great guest. Uh, Her name is Sarah Intelligator, and I just love that name. It's like, it's just intimidating, right? Here comes Sarah Intelligator into the courtroom. Or you ever hear those movie trailers, you know? In a world where there's Sarah Intelligator. That's what I think of when I talk to her. And uh, it's just a strong name. And she's a strong woman. And she's a California divorce attorney. She graduated from UCLA, cum laude, with a Bachelor of Arts in English. She received her her Jewish doctorate degree from Southwestern Law School, also in Los Angeles. Uh, Practicing exclusively family law since 2008, Sarah is the owner and founder of the law offices of Sarah A. Intelligator in Beverly Hills. Sarah has also been a yoga instructor since 2000, and combining her gift for healing with her skills as a litigator, Sarah organically bridged her two worlds, coining the term holistic divorce and family law, and to describe her style of practice. Uh, She devotes just as much attention to fighting for her clients as she does to honoring the human experience linked to family law litigation, and Sarah commits herself to improving the lives of her clients each and every day. So, without further ado, it's my pleasure to introduce to you my guest expert today, Sarah Intelligator. Sarah Intelligator, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to have you on. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. You know, you have, uh, we were just talking uh, off off the mic here uh, for a few minutes, and I, I mentioned your name. I love that name. It's such a, a strong name, Intelligator. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I sat there all night thinking about what I should have my last name be, and that was what I came up with. No, I'm just kidding. I was born with it. I'm <laughs> <laughs> not that no, creative. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's, I guess it's your husband's name, I'm assuming? No, actually, uh, it's my dad's name. And, oh. Um, yeah, and when I got married, I did change my name, but professionally I stuck with Intelligator because I had been practicing under that name for a really long time. And also you can't really be a lawyer and not use that name. So no, I just very I intimidating. Yeah, yeah. Like, here comes Intelligator. <laughs> yeah. I actually had somebody on the stand. I was cross examining her and she turned to me and she was no Miss Interrogator. And, and I, I was like, I knew I won at that point, but also it was awesome. <laughs> yeah, that, that's awesome. That's like a, a movie moment. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> um, so tell me, you're a family law attorney in California. Yes. Now, uh, I, I'm also an attorney and I, I practiced family law myself for a number of years. Now I, I quit and I don't do it anymore. I do the coaching, but I'm always fascinated um, to hear people's stories on what was it that 
made you decide to be a, a divorce attorney in the first place? Yeah. So um, it's kind of a funny story. I always joke around that I'm the accidental family law attorney because um, I had taken all criminal classes when I was in law school and I had planned to practice criminal defense when I got out. And I even clerked for the DA and that was, it was always my plan to go into criminal defense. Um, so when I got out of law school and I took the bar exam and I found out I passed and, um, I, I applied for a job with the, um, the district attorney because that's a really good in if you want to eventually go into private practice, uh, criminal defense. So I, I applied and I, there was a hiring freeze both at the DA's office and at the PD's office. So I, you know, here I am licensed to practice law in the state of California. Um, nobody will hire you in criminal defense, private practice, unless you have several years under your belt right? or you've worked for the, you know, DA or PD. So I decided, uh, you know, I need to find something like I need to, you know, I need to get a job. So I was talking to my mom who happens to also be a family law attorney of many years and she knew somebody who was looking for an associate. It happened to be in family law. And I said, great, you know, the law is the law. I can do this. I had no experience in family law. I had never taken a community property class other than studying for that subject on the bar exam. Right. And uh, I just, it was a basically sink or swim situation. I got in, um, I started practicing and that's how I ended up practicing family law. And I hated it. I absolutely hated it. I practiced for five years with this firm and the, every day I hated it more and more. And I decided, you know what? I'm, I'm done. I'm not going to practice law anymore. I'm not going to practice family law, certainly. And I'm, I'm just going to go and do something else. But in the meantime, while I'm figuring out what else I'm going to do, I'm going to have my own private practice on the side and I'm going to support myself, you know, having a few cases here and there. Um, and as I started to take on cases of my own and clients of my own, I started to realize that I actually had this niche and that I loved what it was that I was doing specifically for my clients on an individual level and on a very personal level. And then I was like, well, I actually really enjoy family law. I just didn't enjoy what I was doing before and how I was doing it. And so um, that's how I ended up practicing family law. Yeah, no, it, it's funny. You and I have very similar stories, um, actually. Oh, yeah? Except when you branched out and opened up your own practice, I just switched areas of law. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I didn't, <laughs> Not a bad move. <laughs> I, I didn't have the coconuts to open up my own practice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was actually fortunate because while I was working for this firm, it was a boutique firm and I was essentially an independent contractor. So she would have clients who she would throw my way and I sort of made my own hours as long as I got my work done. So I was able to, on the side, cultivate my own practice um, in those five years that I had been working for her. So I had had like a client here, a client there, and I was able to kind of, you know, word of mouth, referrals, things like that. I was able to build it even though I was working for a firm at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's an awesome story um, for <laughs> sure. Now, when you were working for the firm, the family firm, and even yeah. I'm assuming before you kind of got into the holistic approach of it all, were you doing regular or I was just say your typical litigated contested divorces? Yeah. So when I worked for the firm, I was, it, it, I mean, it was just a family law firm. I was basically doing what my boss was telling me to do. And it was just 
family law. And, and of course, I couldn't escape who I was. Obviously, when I had clients, I would approach them with empathy and I would really kind of try to understand their situations and, and make that a, a part of the litigation. But um, it, it wasn't a holistic divorce firm by any stretch. It right. was just a regular old, you know, Century City tall building. Um, for people who don't know, Century City is kind of like this like really hoity-toity little financial area in Los Angeles, just um, west of Beverly Hills. And uh, it's, you know, it's where the top law offices are located. So it was, it was very much that clear-cut family law, nothing, nothing else. Yeah. So, so I'm curious, what was the moment, if there was a clear moment for you, what was it where you realized that doing things the typical way in divorce land, you know, and litigating it out um, was not working or wasn't the best way to do it? That's a really good question because I, I realized that things were not right when I was still at the firm. Um, like I remember at one point my boss had come up to me and she said something like, Oh, there's $10,000 left of so-and-so's retainer. Make sure that you use it all up because we're almost done with the case. Things like that, where I was just like, well, that may not make me the best business person, but I just, I, I couldn't over my moral compass couldn't overcome that essentially. And, yeah. um, and so that was kind of when I, when I realized that the way things are done are, they don't really resonate with me. And I think that's what, um, there was this kind of, um, you know, uh, discord within me where it's like, I don't believe in what I'm doing essentially. And, and so, and then when I went out onto my own and I was really trying to figure out, you know, why would somebody hire me over the thousands of other family law attorneys in Los Angeles? What sets me apart? What makes me different? Why would I want to hire somebody like me? And that's when I really realized what I offered was different and uh, more personal. And, and that's kind of how I wanted to approach it anyway. And that's how I had been approaching it. I didn't realize it necessarily at the time, but um, I was able to really cultivate that and define it when I went out onto my own. And hey, let, let's be honest. It's your name. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> nobody, nobody can compete with that. <laughs> no, no, no. Except for my mom. You know, I'm, well, I'm right. fighting over, over IntelligatorLaw.com with her. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> nah, so, when you brought when you branch out on your own and you realize that you you can offer people a different angle on how to get divorced and and how to get through the process you you started this holistic approach to divorce is that right correct yes so talk to me about that like what is for people who have no idea i'm sure a lot of people have heard of holistic medicine and yeah. other holistic uh activities you could do but what is a holistic divorce yeah, so I think that's really I mean that's correct. It is it is derived from holistic medicine and um, you know other holistic areas of practice um because the word holistic simply means looking at the whole, right? It's not, you know, for example in medicine it's it's the difference between just treating the symptoms and and treating the disease versus treating the whole person and and finding the systemic causes, right? And so um when it came to me I I was kind of I, I've been teaching yoga for close to 20 years now, and uh, I continue to teach. And um, it, it, I think teaching yoga and my kind of connection to that philosophy, um, it, it kind of informs the way that I practice law. 
And it doesn't mean that, you know, I'm, I'm soft or hippy dippy or that I can't argue when I get into court. Um, it simply means that, uh, when I, when I talk about holistic, I'm, I'm looking at the whole person and the whole situation as opposed to treating every single person the same and every situation the same and every divorce the same. And it's not just like a retainer check that I'm getting. Like I'm looking at the individual's personal feelings and situation and trying to get them to a better place overall when they leave my office than they were in when they walked into my office. So that might include something like, you know, somebody comes in and they start just bawling their eyes out and they're, you know, asking me questions about, you know, what, what they should expect in the divorce process and, you know, how, how long do I get spousal support for and how much spousal support do I get? And at that point, they're just sobbing hysterically because, you know, maybe it's a woman, her husband had an affair or something like that. She doesn't need to hear about spousal support at that moment. She needs somebody to listen to her and to kind of let her know that it's going to be okay and to reassure her. And so, um, it's, it's really honoring the human experience that is intrinsic to family law litigation. Or for example, um, I've done meditation with people in the middle of the courthouse where they just start sobbing uncontrollably and they can't keep it together. The judge calls a recess because you, know, you can't have hysterics in court. Right. And uh, they, you know, we go out into the hallway and I talk them through some breathing exercises and they go back into the courtroom and they're fine. So, Wow. Yeah, I love that. I wish I knew about that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, because right when I, it, I made it up, <laughs> <laughs> but it, there's, there's nothing more uncomfortable for everybody, including the judge, when you know a client breaks down in the courtroom and you just don't know what to do other than hand them tissues. Yeah, you know? and 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 it's like nothing's getting accomplished. They're not paying attention. It's just it's, it's right. no good. No, no. I love the breathing exercises and and, and how Excuse you introduce me. the. Um, I don't, you know, the meditation aspects, all like these different, um, I don't know what you would call it, I guess, holistic, right? The different holistic yeah. techniques uh, to divorce law, because I think often, uh, too often attorneys, especially, you know, when you've been doing it for a long time and you kind of get, you know, ingrained into just doing things a certain way, right? They're not looking at every case, even though every case is unique and every person's situation is different. And I always say no two divorces are alike, you know, like a snowflake. Um, they're, they don't, they don't really approach it that way. They approach it in a cookie cutter. Okay. You know, what's your financial information? Let's exchange this, let's file this motion, you know, let's figure out the parenting plan. And they don't really like take a deep dive into that person's life and feelings right. and, and, you know, how do they get to this point? Right. Yeah. And how do you get them to a point when they are done where, they don't end up back in your office again because they're not repeating the same mistakes. Like they actually, how do you help them learn from their experience and get to a better place? I mean, that's not my job, but I can certainly suggest it and offer it. Yeah, no, there's, there's lots of, um, I guess, you know, I, I call it therapy, right? Even though we're not licensed therapists, I don't think you are, right? I'm not either. I'm not, no. But But there's a lot of like therapy and therapeutic techniques that you just, naturally end up using, um, you know, during the process to, to help everybody, right? Because when it's over and you get the final judgment of divorce, 
Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how it works in California and New Jersey. They stamp like a little gold star on it. And I always tell people, hang it up on your refrigerator. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, we just get a judge's signature. It's nothing fancy oh, like that. That's too but, bad. <laughs> yeah. It's too bad. I should, I should really suggest it. Yeah. Especially if it's been a, you know, a, a long drawn out one, but yeah. they, uh, you know, it's like, wait, you hope that's the end. But oftentimes, unfortunately, especially when children are involved, it's not. And right. you know, how are you going to deal with that? Right. And it, I mean, that, but also, you know, you, you see this many times where people will, um, they'll choose a certain kind of partner because of issues in their childhood or, you know, issues in their past. And they make this choice that led them to divorce. They made the wrong choice in life partner, right? right. And then they don't go and work through those issues and really take the time to recognize why they made the choices they made. And then they end up picking essentially the same partner different Mm -hmm. person, but same partner. And then they end up in the same situation all over again. And so for me, I'm not a therapist, but sometimes when I see people who, you know, made a choice and and I get to know them and I get to know a little bit about their past or about their family or whatnot, sometimes I say, you know, Hey, have you thought about getting into therapy? It might be helpful to you. And I I really want to see you have some support through this process. And I really want to see you get to a better place. And, you know, that's, that's also holistic. That doesn't mean I do everything. It means I have a team of people um, and they don't have to use my people certainly, but I, you know, I wouldn't, I would never refer anybody who I didn't think was really excellent and wonderful, but you know, why don't you try this? Or maybe this might be the appropriate thing for you to do just so you get your life back on track. No, absolutely. I'm so glad you said that because oftentimes when I was representing clients directly um, in their divorces, depending on the situation and the seriousness of it and the drama level, I would, I would literally force them and say, listen, if you want me as your attorney, you have to be in therapy. Like it's not, yeah. it's, it's part of the retainer agreement. You, you have to be in therapy because <laughs> I'm not, you know, I can only do so much, but that's not my job. And, and right. you know, I always told people, you can talk to me as long as you want, but you might as well spend that time and money getting really licensed advice, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And also, you know, divorce is hard. Divorce is not an easy process. You know, it's, it's emotional, it's painful, it's financially costly, and so many people want to give up. And, you know, it's not my place to tell people, you know, keep going or, you know, no, you should quit or whatnot. I mean, obviously I try to support people as much as I can and, but ultimately it's their decision. But I always tell people like, look, you need a support system through this process. And I don't care what that looks like. It could be, you know, you go out boys weekend, girls weekend, whatever it is, you have friends around, you have family. But I hear about people who, you know, they're, they're going through a divorce and, I have one client right now and it's, it's cultural. The family doesn't believe in divorce and they're basically not speaking to her and they've, you know, pretty much disowned her because she's getting a divorce and they don't believe in that. And this is a person who is really close um, with her family and, and, you know, and, and so how you need to have a support system when something like that happens, whatever that looks like for you. Yeah. I call it the, the, uh, you know, your divorce team. Yeah. And, and you, you got to surround yourself with the right people. And, and this is not family and friends. While they're important, they're not objective, right? So right. I always say, you know, an attorney, if you can afford one, a therapist. Um, yeah, all of the know, above. A coach. Yeah. yeah. And those are like your, your, your basic three. And then, of course, you could always add more people and different types of people if you can. But, yeah, sure. you got to have the right support because 
it is going to be a long ride and uh you know you, you want to be able to manage it uh, the ups and downs as you go along absolutely so i i love your approach i i approach divorce the same way Thank um, you. Yeah, good. Yeah, <laughs> Glad to hear that, it. That's two people, <laughs> right? Um, we got the we got the coast covered, right? Um, but but what do you do when a client comes to you and they want you as their attorney? Okay, mm-hmm. and then you say to them, "Well, you know, does your spouse have an attorney yet? And if they do, you know, obviously, who is it? You want to know." And if that attorney is, shall we say, you know, a, not doesn't take the same approach as you is, you know, one right. like a tiger or a, a real litigator wants to, you know, fight it out and, and you know, use the example before, you know, spend every cent, you know, like that last last yeah. time. One of those. Yeah. How do you handle that situation? Well, that happens all the time, and <clears throat> California law actually favors, um, uh, settlement, obviously I, I'm sure most States favor settlement, yeah. but there's actually a code section that allows the court to impose sanctions against a party who unnecessarily increases the cost of litigation and kind of discourages cooperation between the parties. And so, um, you know, if, if that's happening, then I generate a really wonderful paper trail of me attempting to meet and confer and to try to settle things And when that doesn't happen, then I have to kind of read my opponent. If, for example, it's somebody who um, wants to be super aggressive, like I'm going to give you a scenario and this is, you know, it might sound like a very uh, gender biased scenario, but it's a real scenario that I see all the time. So it's just, we're talking reality here. Yeah. Um, So, you know, a woman who is controlled by her husband throughout the marriage, like, the guy is in control of all the assets. Woman has no idea what they own, how much they're worth. He's in charge of all the money. And basically he gives her, you know, her allowance. She goes, does the grocery shopping, whatever she does, but she has no idea the extent of the finances, the investments, nothing like that. Right. So, um, she goes and she decides, you know, let's say he has an affair or whatever, for whatever reason, she decides to file for a divorce. And she's terrified because, she has no support system. Maybe she, they have a couple of kids. She doesn't know how she's going to support them, keep a roof over their head. He's threatening, you know, I'm going to kick you out of the house. You're going to be on the streets and I'm going to take the kids from you. And it's really terrifying, but she gathers the courage. She goes, she files for divorce and um, he tries to control her through the litigation process. He gets high priced attorney, um, tries to, you know, get her to back off. Um, offers her maybe less spousal support or child support than she would otherwise get if they went to court. And, you know, and let's say I represent wife. So in this scenario, I know that husband is maybe a bully or very controlling. And this is the dynamic that's played out throughout the marriage. So I know that he's going to want to keep doing this throughout the marriage or I mean, throughout the divorce. (coughs) So, excuse me. So, in that scenario, I'm going to, you know, obviously try to settle things, create a paper trail. But I know that the thing that is going to kind of scare him the most <clears throat> is to put financial pressure on him, right? So I'm going to go into court and I'm going to, or I'm going to at least file 
uh, like a request for attorney's fees and a request for spousal support and a request for child support. And I'm going to try to like kind of hit them in the wallet sort of thing. And then I'm going to say, I'm going to send a letter saying, Hey, you know, we have this hearing on calendar. I still, we filed it just in case. Hopefully we'll never need to go to court. In the meantime, you know, we have this court date should we need it, but hopefully we don't need it. Let's try to settle things. And then either he's intimidated, he knows he's going to really do badly if he goes to court because that's just the way the California law is. It's going to, you know, award attorney's fees to a woman who has zero money and husband has millions of dollars or, you know, uh, she's going to get spousal support. She's going to get child support. He knows all this. So it's better to kind of take matters into his own hands or he will not back down. And then we go to court and he gets just nailed. Like he has to pay, you know, like $10,000, $20,000 in attorney's fees. He has to pay spousal support, child support. He's hurting now. So now he knows that if he goes to court, things aren't going to necessarily go in his favor. And so then I can kind of force a settlement that way. So sometimes it's just kind of knowing where to put the pressure on and what type of pressure to put on. But ultimately, my goal is always to try to resolve things. I don't ever want to go litigate, and it's not the best thing for my client ever, um, you know, unless it becomes necessary. So that's, that's kind of how I deal with those types of attorneys. It's just, you know, you just kind of have to understand your opponent and have to approach each opponent differently. And it's, it's kind of like playing chess, you know, just all strategy, right? Yeah. And, and like you said, um, I mean, mainly I say it all the time, right? A divorce is for the most part, uh, about money. And that is the only way most of the time to really send a message is, yeah. Um, you know, via money, whether they have to pay attorney's fees, like you said, or, yeah. uh, you know, m- much more support than they were anticipating. And uh, it, it was always the judge, you know, it's like the judge really controlled the whole dynamic of the process. Because if you had somebody on the other side who was really just not interested in settling and just kind of wanted to litigate everything, and then mm-hmm. you go to court, but the judge wouldn't see that or agree with you and then they wouldn't issue the you know attorney's fees or sanctions and then that just right. kind of uh fueled the other side yeah. to continue that's the behavior true. so it could that's have true. the adverse effect yeah yeah it could and that's true and, and and it could enable and and that's why again it's it's so important um this is this comes back to holistic you know you you can't treat every case the same you have to understand the dynamic in your client's relationship with his or her spouse. And once you understand the dynamic, the dynamic of the relationship is always played out in the litigation process. And, and so if, if one party's controlling, sometimes in the litigation process, the other party tries to gain the control. And that drives the controlling person crazy. And so you kind of have to anticipate what's going to play out based on understanding the dynamic in the relationship and you have to approach it from that angle. Um, you have to know your opponent. You have to know what their weaknesses are. You have to know what is going to force them to come to the table. And it's, it's something that you have to really get to know your client and you have to really get to know the story so that you can do that. Because if you just approach every case the same, then it's, it's not going to get the results for your client, or at least it's not going to get them to resolution as fast as possible, which is ultimately the goal. You know, we want to make it as quick and painless as possible. It's already such an 
arduous process and costly process emotionally, financially, that we want to try to get them to resolution and move on with their lives as soon as possible. So as much as we can get to know what the other side is thinking or how to get them to come to the table, that's, that's really crucial, I think. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I always tell clients to, you know, as part of their homework, and especially if they're still in the preparation phase of the divorce, you know, like, what is your spouse's motivation? What, you, nobody knows them better than you, right? Right. Um, so what, what gets them going? What pushes their buttons? They obviously know how to push your buttons, but, you know, what's their motivation? And, and if you can identify that, that's half the battle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's, it's interesting, like, for example, I'm, I'm going to go off on a tangent here, but, like, you know, when you see somebody who has an affair, male or female, um, they have an affair and they feel very guilty because the affair is the thing that led to the demise of the relationship. Maybe there are kids involved. They feel bad. You know, they tore apart the family unit. They hurt their kids because they had this affair. And, and uh, listen, an affair, it, it takes two to tango. There's, they're very, there's a lot involved. It's not just like one person's fault, although it's right. mostly one person's fault. But okay, so one person has the affair. They feel really guilty. And then sometimes what they'll do is to kind of assuage their own guilt they start to point fingers at the other person and say, well, you did this and you did this. And, and then that gets played out in the divorce process. I see that all the time. So just kind of knowing human nature also is really helpful because when you see these patterns over and over again in your practice, you kind of almost know what to anticipate. It, you know, even though obviously every case is unique and every individual is unique, there are also certain patterns and dynamics that get played out. And you know that one person is going to, you know, if they feel guilty for having the affair and then they're narcissistic and they turn it around on the other person, you kind of know how that's going to play out. So it's, I think as an attorney, you have to really understand human psychology and like sociology. <laughs> it's, it's really fascinating. No, it, it really is. And that was the part that I did enjoy about uh, family law is that it encompassed all those different areas of life. And you just said a key word and I was going to ask you about this you said the word narcissistic. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you find, I'm assuming that you have your share of clients who are married to, you know, what we would label a narcissist. Is that fair? Yes. Yeah, that happens a lot. Yeah. And, and that obviously makes it that much more difficult during the process. But how do you handle that? Like when, when you have a narcissist on the other side, because I work mm-hmm. with a lot of people who are dealing with what, they would label a narcissist too. And, you know, I'm always trying to tell them and coach them and, and the best ways to, to deal with these people, especially in a divorce context. So what do you, how do you work with your clients when you're dealing with a, a narcissist opponent? Yeah, that's, that's a really great question. Um, so narcissists, you have to beat them <laughs> like once to put them in their place. Right. I feel like it's really important to get a victory um, early on. But the victory doesn't do anything. It just, it, it, it kind of shows like, okay, I'm in control. But I think in, in many ways it empowers the narcissist. Um, like, oh, she won. Now I'm going to go after her harder. The judge didn't know what he was doing or you right. know, whatever. Um, so, and I, I say he, it could be a she. That's, um, I'm not saying that they're all men. <laughs> there, there are many female narcissists as well. <laughs> yeah. um, and um, so... I think that the strategy that I have found works best with narcissists 
Um, it's really hard to settle. It's really hard. You know, even if you win, they don't abide by orders. They don't really care what the judge says. I mean, it's, it's really, um, a difficult personality disorder to work with. But what I usually tell my clients is, look, this person will not be happy until he or she wins. Like that's all that this person wants. And so you have to make them believe that it's their idea, or you have to make them believe that they're getting what they want in order to move this forward. And so sometimes it's coaching the terms of a settlement or uh, coaching negotiations in the terms of letting them think that they're getting away with something. Maybe it's giving up on something that's really huge. Um, but that's not really of much consequence just so you kind of have peace at the same time. It's it, again, it's really difficult. Like I'm just thinking of one scenario where, um, I have a client who she got a restraining order against her husband, total narcissist. We won. He could care less about the restraining order. I mean, he continues to contact her and threaten her. It's nothing like physical or major that would warrant him getting arrested, but it's like enough that it's definitely skirts the line. Um, and, and I think a, a family court judge would see it as a violation. And now they, they went through this whole uh, mediation process. They, they reached a settlement. The mediator drew up an agreement. And now he retained an attorney and he won't sign the agreement because he wants joint legal custody. And what that means for people who don't know is that in the state of California, um, legal custody is where uh, it's the, the right to make decisions regarding the children's health and education, okay, right. major decisions. So he wants joint legal custody. However, when there's a restraining order or a finding of domestic violence in California, there's a presumption that it would be detrimental to the children for the abuser to have joint or sole legal or physical custody. So there's this presumption that this guy should not have joint legal custody or that he should not have sole legal custody, right? But he's adamant and he's threatening her with litigation and he's bullying her with this new attorney and these litigation tactics. And, you know, and we thought about it and we discussed it. And and I said, well, you know, you could, you could give in, you could give him joint legal custody. You know, that's something you could do in theory, right? Right. It's an option. And, And then I said, but flip side of that is, you know, this is somebody who, feels like when he asserts his will and he bullies you, he gets what he wants. So if you give a mouse a cookie, there's an old children's book. If you give a mouse a cookie, it'll ask for a glass of milk. And if you give it a glass of milk, it'll ask for a straw. And, and so it's like, he knows that you kind of reinforce this behavior of, of bullying and giving. And right. so, you know, it's, it's kind of one of those things where, okay, well you could give a little bit, but I think the most important thing, because it's difficult, it's nearly impossible, is just to make them think they're coming up with the ideas. That's the best advice that I have on this because they, they won't stop. That's the, that's the problem with them. Like, they'll keep going. They will just, you know, they'll find a way to finance the litigation and they'll keep going until they get what they want. And once they get what they want, they'll go more. It's, it's like it's nonstop with them. It's so, this weird thing. Yeah. So true. And, and, you know, just to, you know, I know we're talking about a serious topic and everything, but, you know, as a, a little aside and kind of add a little humor into it a little bit, I, I would always tell people, especially my female clients, you know, who are dealing with a narcissist and, and they're just so, like you said, they're just so like tunnel vision in on all they want to do is cause pain and hurt the, the other person. Right. 
Um, I was like, just wait until they find like a new girlfriend. Then they're going to change their entire behavior towards you. Yeah. And oftentimes it would work, right? As soon as they yeah. get distracted or focused on somebody else, then forget it. Like whatever you want, the divorce would end like two months later. It's like, True, true. That, that helps sometimes um, unless, and I see this a lot, the new girlfriend is, uh, she, she's insecure and she feels like if I'm putting down ex-wife or if I'm helping you fight the fight against ex-wife, then I'm going to be ingratiated to you even more. And so they become intertwined in the battle and they Very become point, part of yeah. the problem. So yeah, that, that happens too, you know, but, yeah, I've but seen yeah it, but, it could be a distraction. Yeah. That's, that makes it even worse. Um, yeah. unfortunately now you do a lot of mediation, I'm assuming, right? Yeah. And, and for those who don't know, mediation is just an alternate way to get divorced. Um, you hire a mediator as a third party, uh, person who's neutral. Oftentimes they're an attorney. Um, and they just, their job is to facilitate an agreement on all the issues. Would that be a really succinct way of saying that, Sarah? Sure, yeah. Um, Perfectly said. <laughs> I'm just trying to crunch it all in into 30 seconds. But because yeah. um, I just want to talk to you about mediation for a second. And when you're mediating with a narcissist or somebody who's very difficult, how do you approach that? Because, you know, can you mediate with such a person? Sometimes. Sometimes you can and sometimes you can't. And you know, in the, again, in those cases where you're trying to negotiate, um, and you're trying to really resolve it, you kind of have to let them not give them everything they want because then again, that just enables them, but to make them think that they're at least coming up with the ideas. Like if, for example, they, they said, you know, okay, well, I'll pay you $2,000 a month in child support, but, um, you know, I want this. And, and you remember that from months ago, you can say, well, look, it was your idea to pay $2,000 a month in child support. So let's just agree to that. That was something that you came up with, right? Like make them think it was their idea and you're going with it. Um, you know, kind of remembering things that they might've said during discussions with your client. I mean, your client's going to have to really dig through and, and figure out things that this person might've said to him or her before. Um, but you know, sometimes settlement is impossible and and you say, fine, we're going to go to court and they don't care because they think they're going to win. And a lot of times with people like that, they're not going to win. You have, you have to really obviously, you know, as the attorney know when your client is going to do well in court, we never know nothing is a slam dunk, but you have to kind of have a good sense of, well, if we say, we're done here and, and the settlement discussions and the mediation, how good of a chance does my client have if we go to court on this issue? So, you know, if, if I feel like my client is going to do fairly well in court and the, the law or the facts are in his or her favor, then I'll say, well, you know, look, you can give in on this, but if you go to court, there's a really good chance that the judge will give you this. And so, yeah, you're going to have to spend money to get there, but is it worth that money? Like if it's something having to do with the kids and it's not financial in nature, then maybe it's worth it. If you think worst case scenario, the absolute worst day in court, the judge is going to give you exactly what your spouse is now offering you, then you have nothing to lose. If it's financial and you're going to spend, you know, $10,000 on trial to get $5,000, then 
yeah, just take the deal. No big deal. So it's, it's, um, you kind of have to assess the situation and, you know, assess your client's odds. And, and the thing that's always really crucial to me is that I give my client all of the information. Like my client knows as much as I do about what his or her odds are, about what the law is, about what a judge may or may not do. You know, they, they have all of the information and then they get to go and they get to make the decision for themselves. That's best for their lives. That's best for their kids. Cause what they decide may not be best for my life. It might not be the decision I make, but they have to live with it. So, you know, and they might have to spend the money on it. So it's, it's not easy. I don't think there's a, a an answer to dealing with somebody like that. I think it's more just, you know, are they even willing to take what you're offering? Are they even willing to come to the table? Well, right. And I tell people, you can, you, you can tell pretty early on um, whether mediation is going to, has a possibility of working or not. And if it doesn't, you know, then it's just, that's just it for your situation. And don't waste your time and money trying to, you know, push a, what is it? Push a circle in a square hole, something like that. Yeah. A round peg into a square hole. That's it. <laughs> yeah. And right. Because, you know, just don't waste your time and your money. If you know they're not negotiating in good faith and they're not really interested in, in resolving it, which they should be. And if they have an attorney, their attorney should be counseling them to, to really do it in good faith too. But we all know that sometimes that doesn't work. Well, water seeks its own level. So, you know, that's... <laughs> Narcissist attorneys too? No. <laughs> yeah, no, those don't exist. No. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, yeah, but, yeah, so, yeah, it's hard, but mediation is great when it works, but if it doesn't work, then you, you got to find another way. But right, your, your idea statement about the psychology of it all and, and kind of tricking them into thinking that, yeah, they're coming up with the solution or you're taking their offer... Um, I think that does work a lot of times. Um, and it's all just a psychological thing. Yeah. It's really, you just have to get into their heads you know, yeah. or get, give a little, but ultimately feel like you're still in charge. You're still in control. I, you know, you can keep going to court and winning. And I, I just feel like when you beat a narcissist, they just get angrier and they want to fight more. So it's, it's, it's just a double edged sword almost. I mean, this is who you are unfortunately dealing with. This is who you decided to marry. This is the person with whom you decided to have children. So, you know, good for you for getting out, but unfortunately this is who you're stuck dealing with. And the sooner you can get away from this person, if you're just married and you don't have kids, the better, just move on with your life. Right. The kids make it tough, of course. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But uh, and then, of course, like we said at the beginning, don't make the same mistake again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't. It's a revolving door. Get it out is. of the revolving door and just walk in through the door that opens easily. <laughs> like, don't get stuck in there. No, yeah, that's the idea. But it takes work, right? And, and, it does. And you have to put in the work and, and, and want it. And, but it's there for you. That's what I always tell people, too. It's there for you. And it can be Absolutely. better. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. So... We're almost out of time, but I want to, I could talk to you for hours, I feel like. <laughs> I want to, <laughs> oh, I want to ask you an, an, another question. Yeah. And, and this is for people listening, uh, you know, coming from a, a divorce attorney such as yourself. People out there, a lot of people out there are still in the, what I would call the preparation phase. They're thinking about getting divorced. Um, they haven't filed anything with the court yet. And, and so, you know, they're not on anybody's radar from that point of view. But, 
they just don't know what to do. They're overwhelmed. Um, they're not sure what they should be doing at this point or even, you know, how to prepare. What would you say to these people? Do you have any advice or tips for people who are in the preparation phase? Yes. Go and talk to an attorney. Do not research. Do not Google. Go and ask for advice because, you know, uh, some attorneys charge for consultations. Some don't. Uh, I always say you get what you're paying for, but you know, fine. It doesn't matter whether you pay for it, whether you don't. A lot of attorneys do offer no cost consultation. So if you're in a position where you can't afford to pay for a consultation, that, that advice is out there. Go get the information because I think the scariest part of a divorce or contemplating a divorce is the unknown. Most people, lay persons who have never been involved in litigation a day in their lives, who've never gone through the divorce process and don't know the laws, they don't know what to expect. And a lot of times I'll have somebody call me, we'll do a quick, you know, 15 minute telephone consultation. I'll give them just some information and they feel, they're like, I feel so much better already. Thank you so much. I, it's knowing what to expect and what your rights are. And if you do decide to make the very difficult decision to leave the marriage, you know, am I going to be on the streets? Am I going to be cleaned out financially? Um, what's going to happen? Uh, what's, am I going to never see my kids again? Am I going to see them 50% of the time only? What's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to my kids? These are the questions that when you have answers, it kind of takes a little bit of the fear of the unknown out of the equation. And that usually helps people to make at least an informed decision of whether or not they want to proceed. Um, if so, how they want to proceed, what the different ways of proceeding may be. Um, a lot of people decide, you know, let me just talk to my husband or wife and maybe they'll agree to go to mediation and we don't even have to hire lawyers. That's great. I, I support that. Um, you know, maybe they, they have a discussion or, you know, maybe, maybe somebody gets the information and, and they're scared to leave the relationship and they decide, okay, it's not going to be that bad. I, I'm going to be able to get some support. I'll, I will not be out on the streets. Okay. I'm going to go for it. So um, just having the information and, and nothing stops you from consulting with multiple attorneys because sometimes you get bad advice and sometimes you get conflicting information. So, um, you know, especially if the consultations are no cost. And the other thing is, and this is what I always, always, always tell people who call me, they call me, never talked to me before. They're looking for an attorney. I say, there are thousands of attorneys. There are so many family law attorneys. You need to pick the one who resonates with you. You need to pick the yes. one who you feel you connect with because the thing is you are placing your complete and total trust in a stranger. And that is so terrifying. And you're, you're trusting your finances and your children with the stranger. And so it's really important that you get that you have that rapport, but that you trust this person and that you really talk to several different attorneys to kind of get a feel for who might be right for you? Because somebody who wants um, a huge firm working on their case and they want you know multiple attorneys and they want a super aggressive attorney, that person should not come to me. Right, and that's fine. And that's fine. You know, somebody who wants um, an attorney who's going, you know, somebody who wants a more individual one-on-one -on -one experience, somebody who wants that more personal experience. Well, then I might be the right person for them. I might not be still. You know, so you have to really talk to a lot of different attorneys 
um, if you are contemplating hiring an attorney to not just get the information, but also figure out who you connect with. And I absolutely, 100% agree with that. Thank you so much because an attorney, your relationship with your attorney is like any other relationship. It has to be a good fit and you have to communicate. I'm sure yeah. you get, I can't tell you how many people come to me saying who have an attorney, but they're not happy with them. They don't even talk to each other anymore. And, you know, it's like, no, you, you got enough problems. You're getting divorced you got, and your relationship with your attorney shouldn't be one of those problems. So many. And the other thing that I hear all the time is, you know, when I first met with this attorney, he or she was wonderful and caring. And then, you know, now that I retained him or her and I gave him my retainer money, um, I, I know I can't get a hold of him or her. I, I, they're, it's like, they're totally unresponsive. They don't care about my case. And I think that, you know, maybe a lot of attorneys are really good at deceiving people, but I also think that a lot of times people hire an attorney out of desperation and this attorney is just telling them what they want to hear. And they haven't gone to talk to other people to really get a sense of, you know, whether there's a connection and they're so scared or like they just got served with divorce papers and they need to hire someone right away. And they're like, okay, great. This person's telling me what I want to hear. You're hired rather than, Hmm, is this person somebody I really trust? Like, am I going to take time to maybe read their reviews online or, you know, maybe look into them more or, you know, maybe talk to one other person or two other people and uh, get a sense of, of whether or not I really truly think this person is going to take care of me. Yeah, no, absolutely. I always tell people go on, if you can go on three consultations, paid and non-paid, right? And, and yeah. see the difference. I said, you can learn more in one paid consultation than, you know, five non-paid consultations. But yeah. um, do both. Just get a feel for the different types of people out there and um, before you make a decision because it's such an important one. Right. And I mean, you're, listen, you're, if you're, this is the funny thing that I always hear and I'm not knocking it because again, I, I really appreciate where people are coming from financially. It's, it's, a tremendous expense to hire an attorney and, and it's something most lay persons never have to do. So I get that. Most people don't just have 5000 or $10,000 lying around to pay a retainer. Right. But, um, you know, you think about it, you're going to, to meet with an attorney, right? And um, this attorney says, okay, yeah, my hourly rate, my consultation fee is $300 or $400 or whatever it is, right? You're about to drop 6000 10000 $20,000 on this person. Like relative to that number, this is very little. And it, it may be worth spending that money just to get the information. And, and you're getting valuable information. It's not like you're just going and paying this person. You're not getting something from it. Um, you know, I've, I, I, I did have somebody come in. I, I do happen to charge for my consultations. I, I give like a 15 minute no cost telephone consultation, but my in-person ones are very comprehensive and, you know, I really take the time and I give as much information as, as possible. And, and we discuss the specific aspects of someone's case. So I do charge for that. And, um, I had someone come to me right one time and he said, you know, well, I, you know, I, I kind of, I was reluctant to pay for a consultation. I know it's a lot of money, but he goes, I feel like because I paid for it, I got a lot more value from it. Like, because I, I appreciated the advice I was getting so much more because I had to pay for it. And I thought, that's a really interesting way of looking at things, but no, so true. Um, right. Yeah. So true. But, you know, but again, I'm, I'm not suggesting that somebody go and pay for 10 consultations. There are consultations at no cost. If you're just trying to get information, 
yeah, go no cost consultation. That's fine. But if you're trying to pick your attorney, the amount you're going to spend in consulting with two or three attorneys relative to how much you're going to spend on a divorce, it's, it may be worth it because again, this is a very important decision and it should not be made lightly and it should be made with all of the information at hand. Um, and, and it's, it's very important because it can change the trajectory of your case to not have a good attorney. Totally. And, and like you said, it, and you could frame it like this, maybe, you know, three paid consultations, let's say they all totaled a thousand dollars. Um, you're paying a thousand dollars, which is a lot of money. Don't get me wrong, but a thousand dollars not to make a $20,000 or plus mistake. Correct. And not to maybe lose your children or not to feel helpless for the next year or two while you're litigating or, you know, there's, there are other things that you can't put price tags on. And, and I, as I said, I I went to a seminar years ago um, and they were talking about, there's a panel on attorney's fees. And I remember um, at the time I had just started practicing, I was barely making any money and, and one of the uh, panelists said, you know, ask yourself this, if you had to go out and hire an attorney, would you be able to afford it? And I sat there and I thought, oh my God, no, I wouldn't. (laughs) And and, um, so, you know, that stuck with me and that's something I always think of and I'm very sensitive to that and I'm conscious of it. Um, But, you know, if, if I'm giving advice to other people, not specific to me, but just, you know, in terms of what you should do at the inception, like really make a good decision. It's, it's important. It's important. No, one of the most important decisions you can make. Absolutely. Yeah. Great. Awesome. This Sarah, this was such a great conversation. Um, yeah. I loved it. Tell <laughs> people where they can find you. Okay. So my website is family, com, And all of my other information is on there. My Facebook, my Yelp, my Instagram, my everything. So com. Great. And I'll put that in the show notes for people listening um, so you can find it there. Sarah, thanks again so much for joining me. And I'll have to have you on again and talk about more more stuff. Yeah, I would love that. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, you're welcome. (laughs) All right. Take care. All right. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Sarah and I kind of got into a little bit of everything, a little bit of a hodgepodge of an episode. But holistic divorce uh, is a great approach, I think, and something that if you have everybody on the same page, it will get you divorced quickly or, or quicker, I should say, and cheaper than litigating. That's for sure. So check it out. Uh, maybe that's one of the questions you ask in your next attorney consultation if you're looking for one is, what is your approach to divorce? Do they even know what holistic divorce is? I bet you they don't. Anyway, hope you enjoyed the episode. Again, subscribe uh, to the podcast so you get future episodes. If you're interested in private divorce coaching with me, uh, Jason Lavoy, then uh, contact me. You can reach me at my email, jason at jasonlavoy.com. I offer, offer a variety of packages uh, to help you get through this difficult time. Other than that, have a great rest of the week and stay tuned uh, for the next episode coming soon. But all I want you to do right now is be strong, act confident, and stay positive. It's Jason Lavoy, a.k.a. The Divorce Resource Guy, signing off until next time.